iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us after what was very much a Derby-licious weekend. In the studio with us, I am extremely excited because we're joined by Alison Rudd. And the fun doesn't end there, because also with us, it's Matthew Syed. It's an amazing thing being on this podcast, because it sounds sort of, when you look at the script, it's so generous... And yet somehow your compliments, they kind of ooze irony, don't they? <laughs> We're so happy to have Alison Rudd. And it's just a joy to have Matthew side. Sorry, go, go, go on. It go is on. a joy Thanks. to have nice you to here. Be. And to get even more joyful, what could be more joyful than somebody who has the word joy in his last name? <laughs> Down the line, it's Paul Joyce. Later on, we'll be talking about the North London Derby and the pressure on Spurs. Hopefully, we'll avoid, though, Natalie, talking about whether Pochettino is going to leave and whether the squad is too thin (laughs) and those other items mandated by the media agenda. Mm -hmm. Indeed. But we start with a second successive Sunday where Liverpool drew nil-nil with one of their biggest rivals. The Merseyside Derby ended goalless, meaning Manchester City have now overtaken Liverpool at the top of the Premier League. Alison, we were here last Monday talking about a missed opportunity for Liverpool and this certainly falls into that category as well doesn't it? Well not really that's what happens in Merseyside derbies they're nil-nil especially when it's at Goodison and if you'd looked at the fixtures at the start of the season you'd probably go and predict that's what would happen the missed opportunities are the games against the likes of Leicester and West Ham when really Liverpool really did miss opportunities there it was a weird one I I didn't expect anything else but really because I'm not the only one that would have known that. Liverpool should really have been focusing on those matches where the three points were definitely up for grabs and there weren't hidden agendas and rivalries and so on at stake. Do you think they're bottling it a little bit? Do you think the fact that they haven't won the top flight for such a long time and the weight of expectation in the city is affecting the players? Or do you think that they just statistically, you would expect them to have a, a little wobble at some point in the season. I suspect they're doing as well as their spend indicates, yeah. to be quite honest. Mm. They do not have the depth of squad that City have. And if if certain players are having an off day, there's not much you can do to, to change it. This game is almost irrelevant in the title race, I would say. I'm refusing to say it's about bottling it. And it's often windy when they play Everton <laughs> anyway so there yeah that was one of the factors obviously that Jurgen Klopp mentioned as a result of uh, that game and why Liverpool didn't come away with the win perhaps uh, but Paul you were at Goodison uh, Jurgen Klopp didn't take too kindly to a question about whether Liverpool took enough risks uh, Alison mentioned 
the strength and depth that they lack, perhaps. But he did bring on Firmino, Milner and Lalana. But there was no sign of Shakiri or, or Keita. No, and um, I think a lot of the sort of um, focus afterwards has fallen on, on, on whether he should have been a little more sort of expansive in, in bringing on the, those players. It was the sort of same at Manchester United last weekend um, when Shaqiri didn't, didn't come on as well when there was an opportunity to go for a, for a win. I think he's played 210 minutes in, in 2019, having finished the end of, of last year, 2018, and you know, he was getting praised by Klopp. Cater played against Bournemouth at the, at the start of February and, and was praised as having made an important step and he, he's hardly played any minutes since then. So I think it's interesting that there's a sort of criticism of, of Liverpool lack creativity when possibly the creativity is in, is in the ranks and for whatever reason, Klopp seems a little bit reticent to to use that. I thought the question to him about the risk was a, was a good question. You know, it's sometimes hard when a manager comes across as tetry to it, but it, it was a good question for him. So a, lot, a lot of what people are talking about in the aftermath of the derby up here. They did create two really good chances to score. Mohamed Salah, for, 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 for whatever reasons, not, he's not performing the way he should. I think more broadly, what's missing is, is Firmino. Even before when he, was, when he was fit, he wasn't at the level he was at last season. And I think, I want to get your view on this, but I, I think they really struggle to break down opponents when Firmino isn't there in the mix. And against Watford four days ago, he doesn't play, misses the game, and it's the biggest win of the season. Well, yeah, but... At Liverpool. But and I think everybody just wants things to be black and white, and I just don't think it's black and white. I think there's still going to be twists and turns. I don't, you know, in the title race, I think the opposition are playing differently to Liverpool this season compared to last season. They've obviously learned. Can't just give Liverpool space all the time and I think that has affected the the front three. Salah was missing chances last season but it just wasn't picked up on as much because he was getting six or seven chances a game. Matthew, you, you asked Alison a little bit early on about the, the weight of expectation. There is a lot of focus in particular on Mo Salah right now. He had those chances to score. He was one of the elite players last season. How hard is it to cope with that expectation that is put on him right now? Oh, that's an interesting question. I note often when it comes to strikers that if a forward hasn't scored for a while they're described as being in a rut and therefore it's really difficult for them to get going because their confidence is low Uh, but then of course if they score a lot of goals and they don't score in the next game the reason is the expectation is too high and I suspect that perhaps what we tend to do and I'm probably as guilty as this uh, as, as anybody is imputing psychological explanations for what are statistical trends so you would expect someone who scored a lot of goals in a number of matches to score less in the next set of matches and vice versa um, and I suspect that's what's happening to, to, to Salah I've just managed to google the top scorers he scored 17 this season he's second in the, the list to Sergio Aguero I think he's a fabulous player creative quick-witted imaginative so I wouldn't put this down to to, to a weight of expectation although I, I think it's possible that if you look at the collective that there, there is a weight of expectation on Liverpool at the moment and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how, how they cope in the, the run into the end of the season. I suspect what most fans of both clubs are doing is not watching the highlights 
so much as just staring at the running and who they've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Man, the, the Man City-Manchester United game is also a midweek game after... So City's schedule that week is is home to Tottenham, Manchester United away, away at Burnley. So I think Liverpool don't have the same potentially don't have the same fixture congestion as a City will face. So yeah, I I I think City's running is is probably tougher. The odds are unbelievable. I mean, on on odds checker, Manchester City are now eighteen to seven on. Liverpool five to two against. Mm. I mean, that is telling. So, what's, mean, what's better then psychologically? Is it better to be the team that's top or the team that is chasing? Because maybe there's a little bit less pressure on you. Because when you're at the top, everyone wants to get at you. If I was a fan of the two clubs, I would rather be with City if my hope was that we're going to win. I mean, I think part of this is because they're considered to be a stronger squad despite the injuries possibly something to do with with the run-in but that is a stark difference yeah. in odds and, and that, that they're typically quite accurate the, yeah. the the odds i think it's a good point that matthew makes i think we should all play the percentage game let's disrespect spurs by giving them zero percent <laughs> and assume that it's going to be one of these two who wins it i think the injuries are a big factor also the fact that psychologically it's pretty obvious that pep you know he won't say it prioritizes winning the champions league even though some fans might feel differently about that. So, Paul, I'll put you in the spot first. Percentage chance that City win the title for Liverpool? Percentage chance. Yeah. Great, great question. 50. Ooh, 50-50. Okay. Um, Matthew? I'm going to go with, with the, the wisdom of the crowds. 18 to 7 on for City. So 18 to 7 is 18 from 25. Here, work it on your head on last question. <laughs> Alison, what percent do you give City? For City to win the title? Yeah. Six. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. It doesn't help anybody for Liverpool fans to start saying, I don't think we're going to win it. So, so what percentage do you give City? Six percent. Six percent? You think there's a 94% chance that yeah, Liverpool because, win the title? Yeah, because if okay, enough, enough people that... are saying that publicly, it will happen. Okay. Thank you, Alison. Matthew, you're going to... I'll, go, to, I'll go two to one on for, for City. Why don't you just give us a percentage? Uh, so that's sixty-seven percent. Well, sixty-six point six. I'm I'm a lot closer to to Joycey. I'm going to go fifty-two forty-eight. Wow, Natalie, would you like to weigh in? Oh, I if would. You, I, if you agree with Joyce and me, you'll be you'll well, be in the majority. Well, I would. That's I was going to go possibly. for around sixty percent for Man City. That's okay. what I was going to go for. Right. But but you, we should finish on talking about Everton and how they got on, if you like it, in that Merseyside derby. Jurgen Klopp called it. Everton's World Cup final. Paul, what did he make of their performance? I think it was a performance that Everton needed, really, just to sort of restore a bit of belief in Silver's reign. I think they were still very limited in, in, in what they achieved in the game. You know, people suggested they looked stronger at the end, but they didn't really have, you know, a, a chance to win that match. Um, I think Everton are still struggling to, to find out what they really want to be under. Farad Mashiri and, and under Marco Silva, but that was an important result just to sort of bring a bit of unity and a bit of harmony to, to Goodison Park because it's been a very sort of fractious, rancorous stadium this season where you know it's not been easy for Everton to play because expectations have spiralled with with Mashiri coming on board. It was three years ago last week. They've spent an awful lot of money and and, and yet the limitations were still 
evident yesterday in that they don't have a, a recognised, you know, proven striker who, who who can take the game to the opposition. So I think they did they did fine Everton. I think it was it was important for them not to lose. Be interesting to see how they how they push on from here because obviously they had a very similar performance in the Merseyside derby without the sort of crushing last minute goal that they conceded and and they didn't use the positives from that performance at all back in December. So it'll be interesting to see how they finish the season. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. The Premier League weekend began with an eventful North London derby at Wembley. Two penalties, one red card and a point apiece for Spurs and Arsenal as it finished 1-1 on Saturday. Alison, there was a huge debate over some of the decisions made by Anthony Taylor and his officials. What did you make of their performance? It was interesting, actually. It's as though, as we're on the cusp of using uh, VAR, we're all becoming really obsessed with what might be in other words, we've got a game in front of us, there's a controversial decision, there's a penalty awarded, but what would have happened if we'd had VAR? And everything is being overanalyzed to the point that on Twitter over the weekend there were some real humdingers of rows, Alan Shearer was involved in a few, about whether Harry Kane was offside and that the penalty should not have been awarded. And there were people claiming... actually arguing that he was onside? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sam, Sam Wallace went on to Sunday yeah. Supplement to say that... If he's onside. He, it was a valid decision. But he's not arguing that he's onside, he is, is he? He's arguing he's onside. He's arguing... I think Sam... I, I mean, I don't like to talk for other people, but I think Sam Wallace's point is that the foul occurs before Harry Kane tries to properly get involved in the action. Okay, so he's not disputing that he was offside. He's not, he's not disputing he's there's an offside as the happened. ball is played. Right, right, okay. All right. And I suppose that is the grey area, which does bring up the point that VAR is not a, a, a robot. It is another official who has to make those judgments as to whether a player is active or going for the ball or about to reach the ball and therefore would be deemed to be right. offside. And then the same official then ultimately gets a final say. Because still, and I know this is going to happen because people are stupid and they lost the art of reading or even listening, but let's just be very clear on this. It wouldn't have been VAR who would have decided when it took place or so on. They simply would have looked at what happened on the pitch. They would have determined if he was offside, which, which he was, and they would have said, ooh, we disagree with Anthony Taylor. We think Anthony Taylor might change his mind if he sees the pictures again. And we feel strongly enough that he might change his mind and that he'll come to the conclusion that he made a clear and obvious error that we will stop the game and ask him to look at it again. And ultimately, it's going to be Anthony Taylor and only Anthony Taylor who will decide that because he is the referee. Correct? Correct. All right. Well, the former Premier League referee Peter Walton writes in the Times today and he says that Tottenham shouldn't have been awarded that penalty due to Kane's offside and also that Arsenal should have been retaken due to Jan Vertonghen's encroachment. Yeah, or maybe that penalty should have never been a penalty at all because I, I, I realise Davinson Sanchez comes behind him and it's stupid defending because you're nibbling at him, but it looked to me like he kind of threw himself at the ground at the slightest contact, right? Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't have given a penalty. Thank and, you. And uh, it's tough, but um, encroachment's one of the easier things to manage on the pitch as a referee. So and that will be part of VAR's mandate 
from uh, from next season. They all approached, don't they, in, in penalties? If you, pause, if you pause it at the time, they yeah, well, actually, you're right. They'll probably stop doing it now that they know they're going to be reviewed. But I do think um, football benefits a lot from controversy. You just have to listen to a radio phone-in uh, after a match, and it's just part of the anguished joy that people seem to take in being able to vent at referees and the subjectivity that I think is part and parcel of, of football. And I think, you know... I, I quite like the idea of technology coming in to adjudicate on binary decisions like line calls in tennis or offside. But if hypothetically, and it could never happen because subjectivity is integral to the game, you could remove controversy altogether, I think football would suffer. I think you'd have controversy over the decisions that, that the players and the managers do. I mean, I don't think that would, that would necessarily go away, right? You, you still have... I'll mention chess, for example, right? There's never any contentious refereeing decisions over chess, yeah, but, but you still a, have discussion and stuff. Why did yeah, he make this yeah, move as yeah. opposed to another move? If, if you Why know, did if, Jurgen Klopp not send on Jordan yeah, Shakiri, for example? Right, but if you notice chess, it doesn't have a, a program on Five Live on a Saturday evening or on Sunday. It doesn't have debate shows. It doesn't. Probably I mean, football, does in some parts of the world. Football even has journalists talking to each other on podcasts, and people <laughs> tune in because we do. If, if this was chess, we would have even less listeners than we do already. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, Nigel you. Short should have gone king to c3 yeah you're a terrible idea that's ridiculous we can get Nigel angry about Short? football well, kasparov <laughs> coach are you dating yourself Bobby a little Fischer. bit <laughs> who are this, they oh, clearly... i tell you what the guy the guy the, who's your whole number? generation of hungarian sisters has kind of been and gone and become chess grandmasters hey, by the way and you don't even mention the polgars I'm gonna, I'm until gonna, i brought them up hey, i actually went to budapest and interviewed the polgar sisters which one i interviewed the youngest Judith. I interviewed you. Funnily enough, um, Magnus Carlsen, I think, is the world number one in chess at the moment. Exactly. He, he got He's in like touch recently. <laughs> he is. He is. He you read one. He read. He read. He read no, this. but he read one of my books. So what did he get in touch? And he's a qualified. I thought referee. I'd drop that in. It, Carlson. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is turning into I'm a sure podcast about chess. Should we get back to football matters? Let's get back on the topic. Yes, exactly. Controversy is part and parcel of football. It's part of the joy of it. We wouldn't want to surgically remove part of the soap opera. Right. Perhaps chess isn't as tiring as football. Spurs were close to losing a third game in a row and the issue of tiredness is becoming more relevant. Tottenham players racked up almost 5,000 minutes at the World Cup last summer. That's over twice as many as Liverpool and almost three times as many as Arsenal. Gab, is that the issue with Tottenham Yeah, right and probably a million times as many as Burnley, but so what? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think... It's an issue. It's an issue that they've played a lot of fixtures. It's an issue that they got to the League Cup semifinals and that they're in the, the Champions League round of 16. They played Dortmund this week. They're likely to advance. The squad is what it is. But, you know, it doesn't do you much good if you have a 25-man squad and, for example, you never rotate, right? So they've had injuries. They've had guys who've had to play a lot. I think that's a bigger, that's a bigger issue. A, a guy like Christian Eriksen, you know, he's not a horse. He's not going to play 60 games a season at the same high level. He simply has a different body type and a different athleticism. <laughs> Other people can go ahead and, and do that. I think they've been hit hard by injuries. You know, the squad depth argument, you know, they still have 25 bodies in their squad. So should he have rotated more? You know, we know what happens in this country when managers rotate, right? You get Bob X Pro on television uh, going out and saying he doesn't know what his best eleven is and other such 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 rubbish. So I think it is a factor. Short answer, um, which is a long answer. 
but no, I think it, I don't. I think it's less to do with the World it, Cup at this stage, and more to do with the fixtures that they've had, and also the all the injuries they've had, which has meant people who weren't supposed to play a lot of minutes have played a lot of minutes. You know, Gav, when I came into the studio this morning before we went on air, you gave me a fantastic stat about financial fair play. I won't bore the the, the listeners with it, but I'm now going to take another note. Christian Eriksen is not a horse. <laughs> no, I, I mean that, horse. That is horse, the nuggets of wisdom. Horse as a euphemism for those players who N'Golo Kante, Frank Lampard in his day, these guys would play the yeah. entire season, yeah, right? right, right. Okay. And they just have a different body type that they can do that. Christian Eriksen can. There's other Spurs players. Davinson Sanchez, for example, could probably play every minute of every game. Harry Kane, when fit, also has really high stamina level. So... It's a tough spot for them to be in, but I think the issues with Spurs, they've had more ups and downs, I think, since the new year. They've had a number of games where they were maybe a little bit fortunate to get a result, and then obviously they've had a, a, a couple of defeats. You, you can look at this and say, you know, they this game could have slipped away from them, and they, they kind of pulled it back. The most interesting bit about Spurs at the moment, I think, is why Hung Min Son is not playing as well with Kane back. Oh, that's interesting. He was brilliant, what, wasn't he, when Kane was in? down to then? Why is that happening? Well, I, th- I per- personally, I think he's, I think he's, he and probably the rest of the team are overly deferential to Kane. Ooh. And when Kane's gone, it really rallies them because they know they've lost a superstar and a reliable striker. Or, or maybe Hong Min Song, a little bit like the Mohamed Salah argument, is a very good player, he but he's not a player of the year, exceptional player mm. candidate. Mm. And he had an incredible run of games with adrenaline and so on. But the reality is that, you know, But did that adrenaline come from the fact he knew he was replacing Harry Kane and mm. the team needed him? My perception of Kane, and I've never interviewed him, is, is that he's an extremely team-oriented person. Um, I remember interviewing one of, uh, Eric Dyer, and he said that Kane is often offering advice and... On the pitch, he is a great passer of the ball, I and mean, not just yeah. a striker. I mean, he's quite a um, sophisticated centre forward. I think he's a brilliant player. Yeah. Um, I also agree with you, Gab. I think Son is is fantastic, but he's not quite in the same rank. So it, that I'm, I'm quite surprised you say it. But statistically, Son's moments in the sun have come when Kane's not there, and the team have needed him. So there's clearly some not just this season. Ever since he's been at Spurs. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Since the dramatic conclusion of the Carabao Cup final last Sunday, Chelsea have bounced back with two wins on the spin against Tottenham and then, of course, at Craven Cottage against Fulham yesterday. We'll talk more about Fulham in just a moment, but Kepper was recalled in goal. He went home with the Man of the Match award. Maurizio Sarri admitted he'd considered dropping him for the rest of the season. Alison, you were there. What did you make of the decision to bring him back? Well, it looked like a ridiculous decision when <laughs> Kepa dropped uh, across. And if only Ryan Babel had, had been facing in the other direction, he would have given Fulham the lead very early on because there was a loose ball and Kepa looked like he was struggling mentally in all ways. But after that blip, he had a fantastic game. And Sarri said afterwards he could have punished him further for, for his indiscipline during the final. And he decided because he knew him as a person, he felt the one match drop was enough. And that felt right, actually. It did feel right. Because I don't... It just becomes petty and spiteful after a point, doesn't it? And you could actually shift away from everyone at the club thinking this is the right thing to have done because you show disrespect. There has to be re- a repercussion from that. But to, to, to push it further into the season might have looked vindictive or spiteful or putting personal annoyance before you know the team so I think a one match drop was was the right thing to do and it felt right because he did he did in the end play very well during the match and presumably said all the right things to his teammates and his manager interestingly though Sarri also said Willie Caballero I now know so he didn't know before I now know how important he is to us and I have to find a way of making him important so I think we might see him maybe in the Europa League or I mean, it made it sound like we will play him again, not just if Kep is injured. It's funny, we're sorry, I said this before, but we spend way too much time trying to parse his words, especially when this is a person who, as I've said before, he talks in press conferences the way he would talk when he goes out back for a cigarette. He, when he forces himself to be careful with what he says, he ends up saying silly things. I, I, I read some people saying that, you know, he's going to make a decision talking to the players for the good of the team and the good of the dressing room, which is basically what Allison said, which is totally logical. Kepa is a much better goalkeeper than Caballero. You want to send a message, you want to punish him one game, whatever. But ultimately, beyond that, why screw up the rest of the season to go and teach Kepa some sort of moral life lesson? You're hurting the team, you're hurting your employer, you're hurting yourself, you're just being stupid. And yet people then saw that as like, well, you know, why does he have to talk to the players? You know, why should he, he's, he's, you know, oh, this is a culture at Chelsea, player power, all this, all this garbage as if people had noticed that the players at Chelsea are different from the players who were at Chelsea 10 years ago. There's no Drogba, there's no Lampard, there's no John Terry. It's a completely different environment. It doesn't mean that they all think he's great, but it also means that there aren't that many players who have the political capital or the personality to go and really go and make a stand on this and go in a different direction. Well, Matthew, you wrote last week about how the players have been empowered at Chelsea. Yes, I did write about that. Um, And I made a distinction between empowerment and player power. One of the most interesting things about the culture of football clubs, in my opinion, is the extraordinary hierarchy that exists between the manager and the players. When I was playing table tennis, it was a very 
collegiate relationship with the coach who was seeking to help you improve your game, and it was um, not exactly a relationship of equals, but nevertheless, there was give and take and dialogue, and I felt a great deal of ownership over the trajectory of my career, how I'd rehabilitate after an injury and so on, how I'd practice, what kind of practice partners. In football, it's truly incredible. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a teacher with primary school children or a sergeant major in the old days of the army, the bad old days, and the troops on the ground. The players jump to attention, they're told what to do, their brains are kind of conceived as passive, they have to obey instructions, they go on the pitch and they deploy the tactical plan that's been determined in advance by the, by the sensible people. They're almost like labourers, or labourers in, in, in an assembly line. This, I think, is a terrible way to run a football club because the players are creative, they're imaginative. They have to adapt in real time to what's happening tactically. And I think player empowerment, and we definitely see that with Gareth Southgate in the England football team, the players have huge amounts of ownership in a way that I don't think has been properly disseminated. There are other coaches who are going down that pathway. I think that is a big change that will... Uh, benefit the clubs that adopt that new cultural model quicker. And, you know, for example, I know Guardiola, Klopp, Pochettino are more in that way of doing things. But I'm constantly struck if I go and spend time with a football club, with the manager and the first team. It's extraordinary to see it in action. You would never see that between managers and engineers in, in, a, in a tech company or between editors and journalists at a newspaper. It's It's just... And now you don't even see it in the army. You know, the really sophisticated, successful armies are now changing the model so that the people on the ground have the capacity to share information with the general backup base because the general doesn't know everything. They need to have context information from theatre um, and so on. And I just think football really needs to, to, to modernise in this regard. The danger is when players have so much power, they start being mutinous. So it requires great leadership to sustain some level of hierarchy whilst pushing some authority down the chain of command. That was a long answer. No, (laughs) I I think you're right. I think that that's been changing for some time. I think it's been changing more quickly in some footballing cultures other than others. One of the feedbacks that we got back when I did my book book with Gianluca Vialli, we spent a lot of time with a lot of managers, was the problem is a lot of the players are raised in a very structured militaristic environment and so they're not taught to to think at age 14 15 16 17 Mm -hmm. and so when you're asking them to do it at age 23 24 they can't wrap their heads around it and so it almost becomes deleterious because they'll either parrot back what they think you want them to say or or or, or they'll go all down different tangents so i think it is a process but i mean i think matthew's right you have to strike that balance, and I think that's definitely the direction in which in which the game is going. I spoke to a very uh, famous manager off the record who said exactly that: that he'll say to his players, "What David do you Morris. think?" Have you? No, no, it wasn't. No, I said, I said, well, um, and they and one of the players came out and said, "No, just tell us what to do. We don't want to use our brains." Yeah. Think how destructive that is. So we need to build this into youth football, um, and I think. You know, England could be ahead of the curve if we really embrace this agenda. Well, last week, Claudio Ranieri lost his job as the Fulham manager. The new man in charge now for the rest of the season is Scott Parker. It's his first role in management. Did you notice a change in Fulham, Alison? Oh, gosh, yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, I don't think it was just the new manager bounce either. He brought in Kevin McDonald, who's been somebody who's been very vocal at the club, saying 
I helped you win promotion, why have I been overlooked? It, yes. And it was part of the background to unrest both under Jukanovic and Ranieri, this idea that the players felt there was a layer of player who had done the hard work getting promotion and then the club had spent 104 million quid buying in players they felt were the calibre to stay in the Premier League and it wasn't working. So Scott Parker must have looked at Kevin in training and thought, well, actually he's got a lot of great attributes, why aren't we using them? And he, he repaid his new manager's faith by putting in a really battling performance and played for about 20 minutes with the most ripped shirt you will ever see in a Premier League game. He looked like a proper, you know, hard-working midfielder. The fans had got crossed that Ryan Sessegnon was a bit part player coming on as a sub and he's supposed to be a player of such talent and pace that you build a team around him. So he started in an attacking role, not a defensive role. Apparently in training on Fridays, only had one training session, Scott Parker, he was introducing different drills that were tougher on the players but also had an element of fun in them and there was a really upbeat feel to mm. it and when you think about it for there to be an upbeat feel at a club which is more or less gone and you think this is ridiculous this is our third manager in 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 a, a division that's really tough and the last thing you need is so much change at the top that's something in itself and finally I was very impressed with the way Scott Parker spoke afterwards because he said if I'm told to be pragmatic and try and sort of stay up by being defensive or just doing things I don't feel are the full and way, I'll tell them I don't want the job. He he's he feels very he spent four years at the club as a player and he's been there as a first team coach as well and he feels he knows the identity of Fulham and if they're gonna go down, they're gonna go down in a Fulham way, entertaining people and trying to bring back a sense of togetherness that will help them get promotion again next season. It is time now for our weekly predictions game where Gab and I try and predict the score for five games in the world of football this weekend. And, uh, well, I had the edge over Gab when it came to El Clasico. I was the one who predicted a Barcelona win at the Bernabeu. It's only because Ivan Rakitic wasn't properly tracked by Sergio Ramos. (laughs) But not only did I correctly call a draw between Spurs and Arsenal, I guessed the exact scoreline of 1-1 and predicted that uh, Aubameyang would miss that penalty at the end. (laughs) Uh, We both expected Chelsea to win at Craven Cottage and we both expected Barnsley to extend their unbeaten run to 15 games in League One with a victory at Southend, indeed. That meant, Natalie, that you were back to the wall and if you would have any chance of winning this week, you would have had to do better than me on the Merseyside Derby. But you went for a Liverpool win. I did. Now, I told you... The Derby at Goodison is always a draw. That is one of the rules of football. <laughs> and that means that I take home the victory. You have closed the gap, but it is still 14 to me and now 9 to you. We're making it exciting. <laughs> right, enough of this nonsense. How about some quick hits instead? Manchester City beat Bournemouth on a scuffed Riyad Mahrez goal to go top. But Matthew, the focus is on Eddie Howe's crew, who parked a whole fleet of buses and set new records of futility, failing to record a shot. It's not the first time they've done this either, which is weird because against other teams, he plays progressive open football. Is this the best way for your man, Eddie, who, by the way, is the uh, highest ranked English manager in the football pyramid uh, and probably will be at the end of the season? Is this the best way for him to further his career? I think he's a very good manager and I think his ability to change the tactics to suit Garbage. the opponent these pl- uh, the opponents that they are playing is sensible I thought it was terrible what he did I thought it was badly executed but then again 
they kind of did the exact same thing when they played Chelsea at home. And then they scored a couple goals on the break and then winning 4-1. And then all of a sudden, Sarri was an idiot and Eddie Howe was a genius. So it obviously worked. It's just that City are a better team. And if no, you play that way, it's yeah. high risk, high reward. Yeah, was but, it 4-1 or was it 4-0? 4-0. 4-1, 4, one, four, nil. four nil. It's <laughs> Equally damaging. <laughs> uh, Alison, Brendan Rodgers, back in the top flight, your favourite man, uh, with Leicester ultimately beaten. At Watford by an offside goal and another late, late strike. Any sympathy for Brendan? Oh, let me think. No. Um, well, I. Do you know, like his 3 4 3 formation? Don't you like Brendan Rogers? <laughs> well, first of all, he does tinker with. I don't know that it's the right thing to do to change the system uh, after a, a few days of training, if that. I don't think Leicester are built to play through at the back, to be quite honest. They don't have athletic enough centre-backs. They have very good wing-backs, but anyway. Um, and also, he's come from... He's been embedded in Scottish football. I mean, surely a sensible person would, would be very gradual with how they adapted to life back in the Premier League. It, you know, it's a bit tougher than it is in Scotland. So, no, he tried to change too much too quickly, so I have no sympathy. Natalie, one for you. Mm. What are Stockport County up to these days? And I was trying to think of something original to say about <laughs> Stockport County. I have absolutely zero frames of reference when it comes to Stockport County. I'm very sorry. I believe Stockport is somewhere in Greater Manchester. Right. And there's a sign to Stockport from the M6. <laughs> but other it. than that, my knowledge of Stockport County is very limited. So please educate me. Well, 22 years ago, they, of course, reached the League Cup semifinals. I'm sure you remember that. And were promoted to what we now call the Championship. But just 10 years ago, the club fell into financial trouble and were placed into administration before being relegated from the Football League altogether in 2011. Things didn't improve initially in non-league. Diddy Herman had a short-lived reign as their manager. And along with that, there were lots of issues surrounding a potential takeover at the club. And just five years ago, they were relegated to what is now known as the National League North, the sixth tier of English football. But on Saturday, this is the crucial part, 6,311 fans, a record crowd for the sixth tier, were at Edgeley Park, their home, to watch them win 1-0 against Spennymoor Town, a result that took them one point behind the league leaders, Chorley. They're managed by Jim Gannon, who was an integral part of that League Cup semi-final team back in 1997. And that attendance of over 6,000 is higher than the average attendance of all but five League Two clubs. So, maybe, just maybe, they're on the way up. I thought this is supposed to be quick hits. I'm allowed a little bit is that- time. <laughs> yeah, I also thought that the Football League was so interesting that we didn't have to go go outside it into the depths of, of the, the, the millions tier to find stories. We could have talked about Brentford beating QPR hey, 3-0. That's yeah. huge. That. That's, the, the, that's a derby. I had dinner with my father-in-law last night. They, they're just arranging their season ticket. Have you seen the stadiums going up on yes. Lionel Road? Yes. It's looking good, well, isn't it? Yeah. Every yeah, time yeah. you drive in from Heathrow, you yeah. pass it. You can see them both. Bigger you can see Griffin Park at the it's same great. time. Yeah. So close by. It's fantastic. Yes, indeed. We could have talked about that, but we didn't. We chose to talk about Stockport. OK, Manchester United come from behind to beat Southampton 3-2 at Old Trafford. Matthew, are Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's good results and feel-good factor a reason to abandon the club's original blueprint of having a proper managerial set. Yes, I think they are. Right. I'd love to see them get the job. Because you're not a Manchester United fan? Because I'm not a Manchester United fan. No, no, I, I really wish United well. I think it's a, a fantastic football club, great history, and I'd love, I, I'd really like him, personally. I have a feeling we won't be seeing Huddersfield back in the Premier League next season, mm. uh, but Jan Sievert, Uh, Their coach says they won't go down without a fight. And so following their defeat at Brighton, he decided to call them all in for Sunday training, cancelling the day off. 
Alison, what do you make of these Victorian motivational techniques? <laughs> and, yes, I'm setting you up for this because I heard your comments about English coaches versus foreign coaches on, uh, on Neil Ashton's program. Um, if an English coach did it, would we all be sneering? Because I know I would. Yeah, we probably would, but that doesn't mean we're wrong. smear at Jan, too. No, I don't know. He's, he's taken a strange career move, hasn't he, in a way. I mean, it's a huge, huge step up for him to come to the Premier League, but he has joined a club that is destined to go down. So why do it if you're not going to try and improve things? And he's and taking it so seriously, that's fine. He's been employed on a certain basis, and he wants them to go down with dignity and keep fighting, and he feels they need an extra training session I personally wouldn't sneer at that, whether he was English or foreign. I'm going to sneer at that regardless, because the guy is only there because he's very cheap. You get any Joe Blow manager at a Premier League club, they're going to want a seven-figure wage, which I guarantee you this guy doesn't make. Now, he was at Dortmund's U23s, I think it was, and so he comes over, this is his opportunity, sees it, hopefully the club will like what they see and they'll give you a shot next season. You can work at getting them back up and it's a well-run club. But announcing this, that like, oh, let's bring them in on a Sunday. I mean, come on, really? You know, what Matthew said before about treating your your players like professionals, do you think that's going to move the needle one teeny tiny bit, an extra Sunday training session, canceling their day off? I think this is the kind of thing that you do when you're just yeah. playing to the crowd. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Even though he isn't English, I, I'm sneering. He's German, which makes it easier, but still. <laughs> uh, Gab, lastly, one for you. There was the little matter of the Classico on Saturday, as uh, mentioned, of uh, Barcelona wrapped up the league. Well, certainly vis-a-vis Real Madrid, yes. And things are bad at Real Madrid and major surgery is required. And there's a whole bunch of different plot lines you can follow from Isco to Gareth Bale boot again to Santi Solari's future to uh, Sergio Ramos whacking Lionel Messi in in the face with one of those, like, sorry, not sorry uh, Mm -hmm. moments. But I think it's interesting. The the thing about Barcelona this season is this is not a great team. They're on track for for a treble, but they haven't played great football. They're not that dominant. It's reflected in the league position. They're on pace to get 87 points, which would be the lowest points total of a Liga winner in something like 11 years. Atletico Madrid are in second place. Probably won't catch them. They may yet do so. But again, Atleti haven't been anything to write home about either. It's just one of those seasons where it seems that you know two of the three big Spanish clubs are very much in transition. And it's just Barcelona have managed the transition better, possibly because they have Lionel Messi, who's really good. And, and in the last two games, they kind of realize, you know what? We can sit back and defend and absorb the pressure and, st- and strike uh, on the break. And so they've won two Clásicos in a row. Um, it's interesting to see how the rest of the season goes forward for them. But uh, it does feel like a year without any outstanding team in Europe vis-a-vis the Champions League. So it does feel much, much more wide open. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd, Matthew Side and Paul Joyce. Who was your favourite of the three? I won't tell them. <laughs> it is interesting to do the, the podcast because you learn a lot as a writer sitting in and listening. You cumulative losses of European clubs. That is a, that's a fantastic stat, by the way. Absolutely brilliant stat. Stockport County. See? It's a, it's a, People do want to know about Stockport County. You learn. You come here for an hour and a half and you learn. Now remember, you can learn even more if you subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £1 a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Thursday with Champions League reaction and a look ahead to Arsenal versus Manchester United. 
The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.